This is Ben Max. Thanks for tuning in for the show. We're speaking here on Wednesday, January 10th, 2024. It's the day after Governor Kathy Hochul gave her 2024 State of the State address and released her extensive policy agenda. It's one of the most important days of the year in New York politics and government. So today on the show, we're digging into the governor's agenda and the political and policy dynamics in Albany where the intense six-month budget and legislative session is now off and running. The two houses of the legislature are back in session. The governor is laying out her policy agenda, which will be followed next week by her executive budget, which is likely to be a $220-plus billion spending plan. Those twin pillars of the governor's agenda will form much of the basis of negotiations with the state Senate and Assembly, but legislators will certainly be putting their own priorities into the offing and shaping what comes out of state government this year. Legislators have already begun passing bills, and we have a sort of re-empowered legislature over the last several years where Democrats have super majorities now in both houses of the legislature and have been asserting themselves more and more relative to the power of the governor, whether it was Governor Andrew Cuomo and now Governor Kathy Hochul. On this episode of the show, we're analyzing the governor's state of the state speech and accompanying policy agenda, as well as those political dynamics in Albany as 2024 gets going. Joining me to break it all down in a minute are two expert Albany veterans, Chantel Smith and Liz Benjamin. Both Chantel and Liz are now political consultants, but they've had varied careers Chantel was, until pretty recently, chief of staff and chief counsel for the state Senate majority. That's the Democratic Conference. She also worked for them when they were in the minority, but Chantel was a major force for the Senate Democrats in the majority over the last several years. And Liz Benjamin was a longtime journalist covering New York politics and government before she went into public affairs. Chantel Smith is currently a partner at Tusk Strategies, where she oversees public policy campaigns in New York and beyond. And Liz Benjamin is managing director at Marathon Strategies, where she oversees the New York practice, especially in crisis communications and public affairs. So Chantel Smith and Liz Benjamin with me with their valuable insights shortly. First, a reminder, we are now coming to you from New York Law School, where I am now executive editor and program director at the Center for New York City Law. We are now producing Max Politics here at the Center and the Law School, and we continue to host great conversations like the one you're about to hear on politics, policy, and government. The Center for New York City Law continues to host its City Law Breakfast series, and there's more on that coming up soon with prominent guest speakers. We will be adding more in-person programming as this year progresses and also enhancing other parts of the center's work, including its publication, City Law and City Land. So stay tuned for more from the Center for New York City Law at New York Law School. And if you've missed any recent episodes of the show, I've had some great recent conversations with, for example, State Senator Zeldner Myrie, Assemblymember Linda Rosenthal, and Professor Jeff Weiss. Uh, State Senator Zellner Myrie joined me most recently to talk about housing policy and much more as the state session 
is getting going. A really interesting conversation there with the Brooklyn Democrat. Assemblymember Linda Rosenthal joined me. She's the chair of the Assembly's Housing Committee, so we focused pretty much exclusively on housing policy in that conversation. And Professor Weiss of New York Law School, he runs the Census and Redistricting Institute, joined me to discuss the recently restarted congressional redistricting process, extremely important here in New York and nationally. Uh, so you can check any or all of those conversations out and many others, uh, some other recent conversations that were really good on the New York City budget and other things uh, at Max Politics, wherever you get podcasts, probably where you're listening to this right now. And now, before I bring my two great guests on, just a quick overview of some of what the governor outlined during her big Albany speech on Tuesday and the accompanying 181-page policy book, which I encourage you to peruse if you haven't yet, that has lots more detail of her policy agenda. It's actually very accessible. Uh, you know, you can really skim it and look at all the proposals that the governor's put forward. So I do recommend that to folks, even if you're not, uh, you know, if that's not part of your job per se, or you're not that type of uh, wonk where you might look up the government documents. Her, her state of the state policy book is available and accessible and easy for skimming, even though it's 181 pages, you know, you can jump around and use keyword searches to look for what you're most interested in and so forth. But anyway, we'll go over a bunch of it here today, but to really get a sense of all the meat of it, you should look at it yourself or read some of the extensive news coverage of it. A lot of what we'll do in this conversation with Chantel Smith and Liz Benjamin is talk about the governor's performance and political dynamics and negotiations and a lot of that sort of uh, inside baseball, though, that's very important to the policy outcomes that you'll see. But we also will get into some substance, of course. Essential context here, though, additionally, that I must note at the top is that it's a big election year in New York. All 213 seats in the state legislature are on the ballot, as well as New York's 26 seats in the U.S. House of Representatives. Also on the ballot this year will be U.S. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand seeking another term. And of course, it's a presidential election year and President Joe Biden is seeking his second term. So a lot of the election year dynamics also overlay over these policy and budget discussions that are happening in Albany and elsewhere. Also hanging over things, undoubtedly, the Democratic governor, Governor Hochul's closer than expected victory over Republican Lee Zeldin in the 2022 election. That is still not that uh, distant past. And during those elections, Republicans also won a handful of big swing district House seats that helped tip the U.S. House of Representatives to Republican hands starting in 2023. So we just completed the first year of Republican control of the U.S. House. And of course, they had plenty of challenges with governing and figuring out who their speaker was going to be and so forth. Um, but we now have a Democratic president, Democratic control by a very narrow margin of the U.S. Senate, and Republican control by a very narrow margin of the House of Representatives. And a lot will likely shift after this year's elections for president, for U.S. Senate, for the House of Representatives. So that is hanging over all these policy discussions. And Governor Hochul was even clearer in the last months that she has adjusted her agenda based on the fact that it's an election year for legislators and in the House because she has shifted away from her very ambitious and controversial housing plan to require housing growth all over the state. We've talked about that here on the show quite a bit. We'll get into it a little bit with my guests here. All right, very quickly, a couple minutes uh, before I bring my guests on, just a, a little rundown of some of the key planks of the governor's agenda. 
She's calling this state of the state agenda, Our New York, Our Future. The governor focusing on a number of issues, including public safety, uh, fighting, uh, combating mental illness, uh, including things like on public safety, taking on hate crimes with further measures, taking on domestic violence, retail theft, and proposing legislations to further crack down on illegal cannabis storefronts. So she's got individual planks on all those items under taking on mental illness, which she made a major focus of her speech and her platform. She has proposals to add hundreds more psychiatric inpatient beds. She's looking to improve hospital discharge procedures and funding to expand mental health courts so people who wind up in the criminal justice system get the help they need. She's also talked about proposals related to youth mental health uh, and setting up uh, school-based mental health clinics. She has not given up totally on housing, but she's got a much more focused housing proposal this year, especially focused on helping New York City increase its housing supply. She also has some proposals related to higher education. She's got some transit proposals, including perhaps one of the splashiest ideas she put forward, which is this idea of extending the Second Avenue subway west after this next phase that continues to go north. She wants to uh, extend it west to continue to have the Q line run uh, across uh, sort of the northern edge of Manhattan uh, and expand it there. And she's also advancing further the Interborough Express plan for rail in connecting parts of Brooklyn and Queens that have not had that. The governor has also unveiled a variety of proposals related to consumer protection, uh, to reading in, in schools across the state. She's taking on maternal and infant health with a variety of proposals and a whole bunch more, along with uh, maybe the uh, extension of the Second Avenue subway, perhaps one of the governor's uh, more sort of splashy proposals this year is the idea of a new consortium plan related to artificial intelligence. She's calling it Empire AI, and that is trying to bring in higher education, private business, government to uh, take on a variety of angles of artificial intelligence research and Development. So there's a, just a little bit of, of an overview of some of the main topics that the governor has proposals around. Again, there's over 200 specific proposals in the plan. Obviously, I'm not going to go through all of them here, and my guests won't either, but there's a whole agenda here. A lot of it is related to affordability and sort of quality of life issues, things related to public safety, mental health, uh, some things related to economy, uh, clean energy, uh, climate change, a variety of other challenges, of course, that uh, New York is facing. So that's a little bit of an overview here. Uh, but now let's get to my guests. Chantel Smith is currently a partner at Tusk Strategies, where she oversees public policy campaigns in New York and beyond. And Liz Benjamin is managing director at Marathon Strategies. Chantel, Liz, thanks for joining me. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having us. Well, me at least. Both of us. We're recovering. We have post state of the state hangover. Day after the state of the Not state. Not alcohol. It, rhetoric. Rhetoric hangover. Exactly. I'm, I'm dry January right now. Day after state of the state. So this is this. You know, this is the big, the big week where things really get going in Albany. Um, 
So we'll get into a lot of the details, but maybe you each have one or two things that really stuck out to you about the governor's speech itself. Chantel, why don't you start? Was there something particular that you really came away with, whether it was substance or style or tone or anything that really stuck out to you? But as you were sort of wafting in the aftermath of the governor's hour-long speech, was there anything particular that was sort of at the top of what stuck with you? I think a lot of people have been talking about tone, and I think that was something I immediately picked up on yesterday. You know, someone described it as a dark tone. I categorize it as a realistic tone of the state of New York. I think, you know, a lot of times state of the state is very Pollyannish. New York is number one. We're the best at reading. We're the best at this. We have so much money. Yeah, like right now, people aren't feeling that. People mm. aren't feeling that. They're feeling, you know, that, you know, I think I saw on Twitter that bell peppers are $3.99. Like, people are like, things are not affordable. People are not feeling the best when you go to CVS and you can't get, like, deodorant because it's behind this silver thing. There's a lot of things, you know, affordability, housing. Like, there's no housing. So I'm I'm happy that she wasn't Pollyannish because I think... For me, I would have checked out immediately. Um, so I thought her tone was correct. I think it's a. I think she was setting the tone for the budget next week. Because mm-hmm. you know, people were like, she didn't mention migrants, and you know, that's a big, you know, a that's a big state, not a stain, but that's a, that has high impact on our budget and you know how we spend our money and our deficit. And I think she's just setting the tone, like, hey, we're not in the best place. We can get there. This is my plan. And I thought her plan was very, you know, usually you're used to like these big infrastructure things like the previous governor, Governor Cuomo, used to do like these big infrastructure or big multi-year initiatives. And these were very like everyday things like, hey, you know, let's get kids being able to read. Like, let's get it back to basics. Let's expand, you know, mental health access. Let's get, you know, permission, parental consent for your kids to be on these addictive social media things. It's like things people care about in their everyday mm-hmm. lives, kind of. Mm-hmm. It was a different. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll come back to that. But yeah, Liz, go ahead. Yeah. It wasn't. So what's what strikes me interestingly about the multi-year like infrastructure uh, projects and stuff like that um, of the previous governor, a, a number of them have been sort of discontinued or on life support, right? Like Airtran, for example, or the redevelopment of Penn Plaza. Mm-hmm. Some of that is because of COVID and what. And also, I remember one year that he put forward, like, we're going to put a convention center on Long Island. And everybody was like, what? Convention center? Nobody goes to those things anymore. Like, what is that about? Right. So while it's true, I don't, I'm not going to ding the guy while, while he's down because he's been gone for a while, but it, while it's true that he put forward a lot of big ticket items and thought in multi-year um, spans, which this this vision does not per se, although it talks about continuing to to build on money that was already appropriated actually last year, he, not everything he put on the table panned out. Mm-hmm. Maybe that mm-hmm. is actually part of what it is to be a, a big thinker and a leader, right? I mean, no one would quibble with the fact that it is actually really deplorable that the the maternal mortality rates, particularly among women of color in the state, are like third world country-esque. That's mm-hmm. disgusting. We've also been trying to address that 
intractable problem for years without success. It's not like, oh, Kathy Hochul woke up and, and oh my God, this is a problem. This has been a problem for a long time. Mm-hmm. So I do agree that these are potential programs and, and proposals that have the capability of uh, impacting people in a way that they will see in this year, which happens to be an election year. Hmm, Mm -hmm. how fascinating. And in a year when the Democrats are very freaked about the Republicans gaining traction, because remember, you know, and this has been sort of talked about ad nauseum, but she had a less than comfortable margin of victory against Lee Zeldin, who harped on the public safety issue and Long Island. And she didn't have a great reception on Long Island, where it is at at a recent um, business event out in Mm -hmm that area. So it, I think they're very worried about the suburbs. You got the congressional races. It's not her. She's not on the ballot, but the lawmakers are on the ballot. So these are things that I'm addressing your safety. I'm addressing keeping money in your pocket. I'm. Those are things that you can talk to voters about today and not, hey, in five years from now, we're going to have uh, an X on the Upper West Side. Right. So so is it that, you know, it's sort of like a combination of playing it safe and trying to deal with some real nuts and bolts kitchen table issues and maybe that's okay for this year or does she risk playing it too safe here and that you know there isn't there isn't a lot of uh headline making proposals obviously you're the governor she's outlining a whole bunch of things she got she got a bunch of headlines but not necessarily a lot of things that are really going to linger and become multiple day sort of stories and fascination among the public so there's dozens and dozens and hundreds of of policy planks in this, but Chantel, how do you think you know she's striking that balance? Is that smart? Is it is it too careful? Last year, massive housing plan, very splashy, didn't go well, and now does it look good to sort of back away from that after just one year? You know, I mean, there's there's a lot of moving pieces here, but what do you think about sort of those choices and that and the way that she's trying to strike that balance? I think she has a lot that there's a lot that has to be accomplished in a short period of time. This legislative session, there's an election year for both, you know, Congress and the state legislature. They have to redo the lines. I think, you know, she's playing it. And we don't know. We we truly don't know. Like people can always like, you know, have their insight, but no one really knows the relationship between the governor and the legislature at this point. She made some controversial vetoes at the end of December that people were very pissed off about. So we don't know how she's going into this legislative session. You want my personal, as as an ex-legislative staffer, we didn't pay attention to the state of the state. That's cool. That's your priorities. Great for you. We were the ones that introduced legislation. We were the ones that studied legislation. We were the ones that passed legislation. So I think it's like good for you. I think she she doesn't want a public embarrassment and she doesn't want to go too far out there to make it uncomfortable for anybody that's running a race right now because everybody's gearing up for the election season, whether it's, you know, Biden and how he'll do in New York, whether it's the Congress, will will we win back, you know, the five seats we lost last election that impacted, you know, Hawking Jeffries from being speaker? Like there's so many different things at play. I think she did a good job playing it safe because she can't handle, not that she can't, no one wants to be publicly embarrassed. Mm -hmm. No one wants an aggressive legislature. And there's just too much at stake this year to be having these 
stupid, like, you know, inter-party wars. I mean, some of this, some of this stuff is, we'll get to this in a minute, but some of this stuff is still going to become, uh, you know, some real push and pull on even the housing policies that she's putting forward and, and all the housing debate and, and other things as well. And I will say before you jump back in, Liz, you know, there is this tension between sort of like, hey, what are some real concrete policies that will help make people's lives better versus the big splashy ideas? And, you know, we want leaders with big vision, but you also want people that will get nuts and bolts stuff done. So I don't know that there's a good or a bad here, but I think a lot of it is how she presents it to the public and what she is able to actually show them in their lives. I think Chantel, you hit on something really important, which is it's very clear, I think, from people's everyday lives, but also from the polling that cost of living and inflation are just hugely top of mind for Mm. people. And is she actually able to show people that she's working on that big theme in a very concrete way is, I think, a big test of whether she's able to sort of sell this agenda to the public and actually get pieces of it passed that will make a difference in people's in people's lives. And that's where the policy and the politics, you know, merge, of course, on a number of fronts. But, Liz, you were going to sort of jump in on this. I think makes a really important point about audience. Like, you know, yeah, the lawmakers are sitting in the seats, but they're like, "Eh, that's interesting, but we got a long way to go until June, right? Or until April for the budget, until we're May or however long that might take. Whenever, yeah. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. That's nice, but, right, like we, and I feel like the legislature has been feeling itself uh, quite a bit of late, in part because there was an historic rejection of the governor's chief judge, uh, selectee, appointee, rather. Nominee, uh, yeah. They rejected, she tried an outside the box approach with housing, which as you noted, which is a critical and only getting worse crisis that they have not managed to figure out a solution towards. She had a little moment when she talked about, oh, so you say you're worried about local control. Well, let me see you do it then, New York City, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it was sort of like the way she said it was like, I'm still pissed. Like, it, start, it sounded like to me, like, there are still hard feelings was the way that that came across. Maybe she didn't intend it that way, but that's The tone I, of the housing portion of the speech was different than the tone of oh, the yeah. rest of the speech. It was, it was 100%. And it's even in the policy book. If you yeah. read the policy book oh, yeah. section on yeah. housing, it's like, the legislature wouldn't. The legislature didn't. You the, said I, no, so it, now it's your problem, absolutely. right? I don't think that's like the yeah. best way well, to get things done. Yeah. So I think that while I agree... That she played it safe and she there were reasons for it. She risks, and this is where I sort of put on the like communications hat, I guess. She, and she risks falling into a narrative, like supporting this sort of meme, if you will, that she got rolled. And so now she's like, okay, forget it. Like, you know, like the legislature successfully uh, inflicted its will on her. And, you know, the this is, you got to look at the, arc of history here, because it isn't just every couple of years, like this governor and that governor, there's an inherent push-pull between the executive and legislative branches that is constitutionally instituted. And there's a reason for that. We have an unusually strong executive in the budget-making process, but that the legislature gets its way, gets back at things after the fact. And the budget really is the only place that the executive can really make their agenda 
known and push and whether or not they put too much policy in the budget. I mean, we'll see what happens in the Article 7 bill and 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 have that discussion, I guess, yet again. Silver v. Pataki continues to haunt us all. But it it, you know, you I feel like you gotta come out strong in the beginning, even if you got brushed back, even if we do have a four billion dollar point three deficit, even if whatever, if you if you already start from a position of pragmatism, I don't know necessarily that you're going to get very far. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I will say on that on that housing front, that that really has stuck out to me, which is she proposed something really big and ambitious, maybe didn't go about it the best way, getting buy-in ahead of time, could have had some labor allies involved, maybe could have had more legislators involved, et cetera, but went after it in a big way and even said, has said all along, I didn't expect to get this whole thing the first year, I but, then, but then is giving up after the first year. Um, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Chantel, what were you I, I, I was shocked when she said that in her speech yesterday. It was like, I didn't anticipate this happening in one year. And I was just like, Oh. She said, I mean, she she said that last year, but I, I, and this is, as she has rightly said, this has been a pattern in other states that have really tried to implement a statewide housing strategy with required growth that it has taken many years to get it accomplished. So she's she knew that her advisors, you know, helped get her to that point and all of that. And then backed away after one year, again, clearly because of the House elections, especially, and not wanting to have this as a as an issue again in the in the swing districts in the suburbs, especially, but because the legislature just wasn't coming along. But it's really interesting to hear her sort of acknowledge, I didn't expect to get this in one year, but I'm also giving up after one year, but also give me credit for going after the state's biggest crisis. You know, it doesn't all it doesn't all really work. Go ahead. But I find this housing argument. I don't know what's the polite word. I, I just this housing argument just annoys me because the legislature had a package. There was this whole big blow up at the end of the session where the legislature had a two way deal. And, right. you know, apparently the governor's folks and the governor were not happy with the two way deal. And it was basically like, don't do this. So they did not the whole thing with this housing package, the fundamental thing that there's a big disagreement about is good cause. Whether you like it or you don't like it, good cause doesn't have to be the version that is in the Salazar bill. They can find different ways to provide tenant protections. It may not be 100% the way the advocates wanted, but like come to the table and try to figure out a way to address tenant protections. Mm. Okay. From my understanding, there's been limited conversation on real tenant protection. Now, other things like the way it goes with a negotiation, you have what you want, the A version, then the B, the C, the D. Like we used to go down many, many versions before we got to the final thing. But it's like negotiate. It can't be like I can't get my one thing. I'm taking my purse. I'm out of here. Like you got to negotiate. I'm taking my purse. Yeah, you know, like I'm taking my purse and my my stuff and I'm out of here. Like you have to negotiate. It is clear the minute she did her housing proposal, I think Giannara said something. He did a statement. Zellner did a statement. Linda Rosenthal did a statement. It is clear the legislature is not budging on housing unless there is some type of form of tenant protection. Look at what other states do. See what like that's the thing that's bothering me about this discussion. A housing deal can be made. 
People just have to come to the table and really try to negotiate in earnest. And I think this housing crisis is so critical. New Yorkers deserve people having a conversation in earnest because the production is not growing. The prices are getting higher and we're going to it looks bad on everyone. I will add to that. It's my understanding that her side of the equation didn't seem to want to come to the table on some sort of good cause version or tenant protection. And the legislature wasn't really coming to the table on the sort of required growth side of the equation. And so it didn't even get to a point where those were the things that were potentially going to be sort of the big pieces of a trade. You have to remember the budget was what, six, seven weeks late. Yeah. We're smacking each other up about bail reform. That we this was an eleventh hour ad. Like exactly. again, so just as some of this, like again, goes back to um, the way that you conduct yourself. And I, and I'm not the I'm not the first person. I'm sure uh, you know. And this is so inside baseball. But I'm going to assume inside baseball people are listening to this podcast. <laughs> like, Plenty, but, yeah. But the how it's not just the tone that you come to the legislature with. Are you respecting the legislature or not respecting the legislature? Do you understand the way the game gets played? Do you understand the mechanisms by which things move? Do you have a staff that has experience and a history and a knowledge and the relationships necessary to make this occur? When you come to the table, because you look at the political winds and you lick your finger and go, holy crap, people care about public safety and the Republicans are really, oh, my goodness. And then you insert bail reform into the 11th hour of the budget. It's on you when the budget is a month and a half late. (laughs) It's it's on you. It shouldn't be done that way. That's not the way things are done. And then after you get a deal on budget, then you're like, okay, let's now really let's really discuss the budget. Oh, but it's like we're late. And then what people don't understand is that usually that break between budget, because people are not sleeping, they are not, like they're not even in their right frame of mind during budget. Oh, yeah. Negotiations. yeah. So you have a break or two week break. And then that's when all the legislation gets passed. When we did housing, when the Senate and the Assembly did housing in 2019, the budget. And first of all, there were work groups working on housing for months and then when housing was negotiated, it was a all hands on deck. Every advocate, we, invi- we invited everybody to the table to have a discussion. Housing never, unless you're doing some late night extension, housing can't get done in a budget. It is too complicated and too complex. It's not only that, it's also that, again, with the, the, the understanding, with give it, building off of that knowledge, right? Building off of Chantel being like, this is it's not there's a lot of it's an octopus with a thousand legs right too many things going on you can't do it within the confines of this like will we put funding here and won't we put funding there understanding that when you come in and say i'm going to propose this outside box thinking that works in other states where i take away uh, certain control at the local level and mm-hmm. mandate certain zoning and do these things are like sacrosanct like these are like you don't just you just don't walk in one day and say, hello, I'm going to you are going to have to build along this subway line. And hello, you're going to have to use some of the primo undeveloped land that you have left. And you're going to have to put poor people of color there or whatever it is that doesn't fly in a white suburban neighborhood. Generally, you better have worked for years to create a groundswell of support. You better have 
floated that, knowing that would probably get into the press, like the administration is floating the concept or having small meetings or talking to Suffolk and NASA and Ulster and and Suffolk and Orange and all these other suburban communities and trying to gauge what might fly. If you don't put that together and then also put the advocates in the room and say, I need you to jump around and scream and hold your signs and support us again, like then, then where is the blame really to lie? If not at your feet for not doing your, the work that you should have done organizing on the ground. We, um, we've gotten at this a little bit. There's been obviously plenty of discussion of, and we've hit on even a little bit here, of how Governor Hochul is different than Governor Cuomo. And of course, you know, those comparisons we can always continue to make. But also, this was starting to happen under Cuomo, Chantel, when Democrats took control of the state Senate and had mm-hmm. both houses. And you saw the legislature now not being split on party lines, but now mm-hmm. Democratic majorities, now Democratic supermajorities in both houses where some of the power has really shifted. Right. Then you also now come in with a governor who doesn't take as firm, strong, bullying an approach. Okay, maybe that has some positives to it, but it also shifts in its own way some of the power to the legislature. Say a little bit about how you see those dynamics right now. Just going to be clear about something. (laughs) Just because, Kathy, just because the governor may not have had tactics similar to Andrew Cuomo. Governor Hochul is very tough. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. He is not. Like, well, she's I clearly played some hardball. Mm-hmm. And like, she will look you in the eye and be like, no, and not even, not even flinch. Mm-hmm. And like, she's very tough. But the problem is, is when you have super majorities and then you have other political pressures around you and, I know people are going to be mad that I said this. I think when you don't win with a resounding, like, huge margin, mm-hmm. I think people always think that you're you're weak in the sense of, like, you're vulnerable. Not as weak as, like, as a person, but vulnerable as a candidate, as a political. Your political standing is not as, as strong. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think the legislature has been feeling themselves, but they've had that vibrato ever since Amazon. I know mm-hmm. for the Senate Democrats— Ever since Amazon, that's been the vibrato. Like, we are the legislature. We represent our constituents. And, like, if we have a voice, we're going to show it. And it's been, it's not even who's governor. We have a newer generation of electeds. Especially in the state Senate, right? Yeah, they're not going to sit and wait in line. They're not going to wait to be heard. They have opinions. They feel like they're elected by the people. It's been a movement. So they have just been very in your face. The Assembly is getting that way too. And the assembly has been, you know, they were the ones before the Senate Democrats that have always been holding the line for democracy and Democrats. But I think with this younger version of elected, you see it in the city council, they don't care. They are going to speak their mind and it's up to whoever is the leader to figure out a way to assemble the various groups of people and get progress. I think the governor and her staff The old approach of just like, you're going to do it because I'm here, that doesn't work. And you have to figure out how to get people to see your sides, but then you also have to give them something so they can go to your side. Mm. And it's going to be interesting because we have no money. Like, I know, like, Liz, you're like, 4.6 billion. Mm, Please, that's not Three. 
but this is the first time I know you're right. You're right. Crew. You're right. I had to deal with not having money. I remember in 2019, I can't remember the amount that Governor Cuomo had said we could have to, you know, give out to members and in the community. But it was it was small. It was like maybe like one million or maybe it was like one million and they lost their mind. So now when you have it on the opposite where it's four point three billion deficit, which yeah. means can't do certain things and you can't give people things for their community to take a vote or, you know, consider a different view. I'm interested to see how that works. Well, and let's remember also, which, you know, we're talking about, we're going to expand beds here and we're going to do programs there and we're going to this and that and the other thing. And that's great. The lion's share of the budget is education and healthcare, most notably Medicaid. And you can't get around that that is what it is. It's 50 plus percent, right? So I'm sorry, but what you get left over with is even smaller than what Chantel is suggesting. And, and also, you know, you, you, I guess you can say, well, within, within education, I'm going to suggest that some of the expanded access to mental health services, for example, that every school district has the ability, if they want to have a school-based blah, 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 that's going to be within the education funding scheme. And then that's fine. But then where is it coming from? It's coming from somewhere else. Right. And the idea that you're going to and then you're not even talking about like the higher education piece of it, where you've got um, certain uh, campuses that are, you know, under significant fiscal distress, even though enrollment is up across the system, as the chancellor has noted. This is not a story that's not every higher education institution in the land, mostly not Harvard, but Harvard has a different set of problems <laughs> that I don't think anybody would want. Oh, um, but, you know, we just had a in the backyard of Albany, we just had a, a campus, a private institution yeah. that would close. So this is not, you know, news or unusual. However, come to the table and say we need X plus the, the historic amount we got last year plus and you're not getting that. Before we go further into the budget, back to the governor's agenda for a minute. <laughs> oh, um, that. Yeah. Are there things so so she's got 200 specific proposals in a 180 page book, as I said in the introduction, there's, you know, lots of different things here. As we've discussed, there's few things that you might call sort of splashy, uh, big vision items, but there's a whole lot of sort of meat and potatoes here. Yeah. But is there anything other than some of the housing stuff we discussed? Is there anything that jumps out to you as things that might seem like they'll be the most controversial with the legislature. Obviously the criminal justice stuff is often has often been things where the Increasing governor penalties ha- never is never going to fly. Right. I think the cannabis stuff we, you know, in disclosure, we work in this space, but yeah. that's, um, you know, that's always going to be, it, it, there was, it was interesting because there's not been a recognition of, and I, I don't think I'm talking out of school that all parties in the space, whether you be medical or or adult use or farmer or processor or equity and card, whatever, no one's happy with the way this all went down. Right. And it's getting better and there's been changes and all the rest of it. But the illicit market, I think there was a story that I saw in the last 24 hours that in the Lower East Side, there's one legal dispensary and then there's like a plethora of all of these illegal operators. The competition is fierce. Uh, and I don't know that you. So are you saying that the, the But are you saying the proposal to give localities and the state more power to shut down the illegal ones will be? I mean, contra- controversial or not controversial? Well, it seems it seems like people are are eager for more of that enforcement. They're to shut eager down. for it, but like 
they had, even when they did the bill, there was a bill, I think last year or something, they, there was legislation last year that was still difficult to do yes. in legislature. And that's why they did increasing fines and doing it administratively. Right. Yes. Because there was the, look, if I'm someone doing a shop and you charge me $5,000 for violating something, okay, thanks. Great. I'll open up next I week. make that in an hour. I mean, you know, like and I'm it, not paying taxes. So thanks a lot, but Okay. So there has to be like real consequences for these people that do this. And, and again, you're now let's get you can like unwrap that and say, but I don't want to be seen as just as, you know, coming after people who disproportionately were paying the price for the cannabis prohibition. It was on the backs of these individuals and now they're making money and you're telling me to come after them and and, and put them in jail, put the cuffs on these people. That's a shitty look like I don't want to do that. Right. So, yes, like on the face of it, right on the surface, does everybody agree that we should be shutting down illicit operators and it's bad for the um, legal operators and it's not bringing in the tax dollars that we said it was going to. And by the way, they're selling unregulated products and maybe that's not so great. Yes. But when you get and nobody knows this better than Chantal, and I certainly don't know it the way she does it. When you peel when you're like, okay, let's talk and actually talk about what the bill says, the what the bill does, the language. Oh, you're off to the races. When I'm reading the book, it's like we're giving OCM and local governments the authority to go in and put a lock on the front door. Like I how are you doing that? What, where are you doing that? What does that look How like? Look? I just right. want to know the details. So devils are always in the details sure. for me. No one wants illegal like, cannabis. Like, you know, like full disclosure, like my sister works there. Like, and I love the executive director used to be a Senate staffer of mine's at the office of cannabis management. You're talking yes. about yeah, 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 the state yeah. office. Okay. Yeah. Christopher Alexander worked for the Senate. Like we love him, but it's been a hard rollout. And I don't believe like you really need teeth. You need teeth. There's like something simple, like I was reading the hate crimes, expanding the list of hate crimes. Mm. I went through the bucket so many times when negotiating bail. You would think simple things like, oh, saying this disgusting thing to a person of a certain religion, you know, or just you would think certain acts should be hate crimes. But people can create all these scenarios of a 15 year old being bullied. And he felt that he had to say or do this and mm-hmm. I don't in his life. And mm-hmm. that's going to be difficult. Like there are a lot of things that when you look at it, you're like, oh, retail theft. Like, yeah, smash and grabs. But but the details. Yeah. Right. But is it no, I mean, I think I think you're getting at trying to fight, feed their family or is it because they're selling it on the market? On I've the- heard the lay-miz, the lay-miz example. I bet you have. So many times in, uh, <laughs> oh, well, the person needs a loaf of bread. That's why I'm stealing all the deodorants in CBS. So like it, it's, it's I, I, mean, I think the I idea think that both- you have to go ask for, I have never experienced that until I was in New York City recently where I'm like, I have to ask for gel. Like I can't buy deodorant or hair gel or mouthwash. And then the things that aren't unlocked, I'm like, why aren't they stealing that? I wonder. Like, like, like why? It's just, it's a crazy. But again, we're getting at something where clearly there are sort of kitchen table or sort of quality of life basics that mm-hmm. people are frustrated by that the governor is taking note of. This is often, you see this because you see it in New York City as well. And this can also go back to sort of electorates and who's getting elected and the but we won't go into all that. But you see it where sort of the executive who is responsible for law enforcement or responsible for, you know, a lot of these things has a different viewpoint than the legislators. Mm-hmm. But 
But clearly the governor is trying to take on some of these issues. There can be lots of debate over whether the proposals are the right fixes to them. But I think you're both hitting on that some of these things related to public safety, cannabis enforcement, uh, you know, retail theft, et cetera, are probably going to be some of the most difficult negotiations between the governor and the legislature of some of the things she's proposing. I I think, you know what, I think every year there's a thing that pops up and you're like, geez, I didn't think that was going to be the problem, right? Like every, Mm -hmm. every, yes, I think that the public safety and, and changing that kind of stuff is always difficult. And then there's something like, let, let's take the pools, New York swims or whatever that is called, which is a fascinating thing. It's getting a lot of attention. I don't know. There's a lot. I have a lot of feelings about it, but let's just take that. This feels like it should be fine, right? Like feels like everybody can get it mm-hmm. and like um, it's good in climate, urban climate deserts where people need to stay cool. And it's good to teach kids who are, are who are, um, you know, not don't have exposure to swim so they don't drown. And like it's all these good things. I bet you dollars to donuts that somebody comes out of the woodwork and is like, I hate that. <laughs> I hate this. Mm-hmm. I hate it. The environmentalist maybe or somebody comes through. Right. So you just don't know. And it's not easy to predict what ends up being the sticking point. I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of a budget negotiation and you're like, we're done, we're almost closed. We just have a few small details that we have to tie down. And I would talk to staffers and I'd be like, look, what are those details? And they'd be like, well, it's like section D of chapter B of the blah, blah, blah. Like it would be some kind of terribly small bore thing that people would be dug in on and unable to close because of that, whatever it was. One year for us, it was the state flag. See, Uh, that's what I'm talking about. Would would Chantel be able to predict that the budget couldn't close because of the state flag? No. no. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us something. Is there something that you find particularly intriguing or exciting that the governor laid out? There's been a bit of attention on the artificial intelligence effort and creating this consortium and a new campus and different things that I thought. I mean, I have I have concerns about that in part because I worry, you know, that this is sort of I mean, it seems like this obviously has some legs and will be a key piece of the future. It's been a key piece of the recent past. But I wonder, you know, I worry sometimes when like there's a hot sort of tech technologically related topic and then government gets that all in on it. some say is going to kill us all as a race that we should. Well, either, either, yeah, really either kill us all or it's the future of all jobs or this <laughs> yeah, or that. And then it's like. People and taking money like I am. Yeah, we should. What we should do is throw some money at that. That's what I we mean, should do. <laughs> I think I think this is crafted in an interesting way that it's about bringing higher ed into the picture. It's about research and yeah, development. My understanding it's not- is that it's about accessing the hardware necessary because institutions, it's going to take a lot of technological computing power. You can mm-hmm. see how knowledgeable I am about this. <laughs> to access the kind of... Right, you need supercomputing. Right, and supercomputing. You need, right, right. So and, that, but you also need to bring people in to do right, right, right. research. Yeah, so, there's economic opportunity here, but there's also research and yeah. opportunity about evaluating and and putting out warnings about the problems with AI. I mean, there's a lot of different pieces here. If this goes well, that it could be a good thing for the state to be investing. You know, in. actually, not to go back to the last question, but it just dawned on me, like, you know, what could be problematic is um, energy, clean energy transition. Yeah, Heat Act, elements of the Heat Act right. included. Um, you know. 
it's not mm-hmm. going so great. Like the whole wind energy situation is not so fantastic. So there, that's another mm. you know area that could be potentially problematic. Um, yeah, no, the state, I mean, the state needs to really be trying to meet its goals of the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act passed in 2019, where implementation is really now of the essence to reduce carbon emissions and pr- provide clean energy. And there's some real stuff happening there. Some of it uh, challenges related to the pandemic and inflation, other things where they need to design this cap and invest system. I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming down there. Chantel, sorry, uh, other things that stuck out to you in terms of um, intriguing proposals, areas that the governor's taking on that are actually a little bit exciting. The one thing I do like, and you know, a lot of people have been concerned about the education system, especially after COVID. Mm. I do like that she's like saying the thing that like we are all thinking where, you know, kids were basically self-learning for like a year and a half, two years. And right now everyone's not testing as well. So I do like this getting back to basics. I know like, you know, I have nieces. I kind of appreciate it. Hopefully I think the education system in the past couple of years, they've, you know, as the common core, they were trying all these new ways to read and do multiplication. And it's like, bring it back to the basics. I appreciate that. So that is something I'm excited for. Mm. The doula stuff, something that I got excited for. I'm, I have type one diabetes. I need insulin to live. I got excited when she said free insulin, but it's only if you're on the state managed health plans. Mm. And that made me sad. So uh. hopefully, you know, it's a good, it is a good attempt because usually the people who require the most, like the people who can't afford insulin are usually people who are dependent on state type health mm. anyways. So that is good. And I think on behalf of all the diabetics, I think they're mm. happy, but I wish it was this, you know, more universal. You know, it reminded me, I think under Governor Cuomo, um, they outlawed co-pays related to contraceptive care. Yeah. And it yeah. reminded me hearing the governor and I'm like, are they going to go one by one? You know, it's like, yeah. Are they going to go one by one on a pressing issue? I'm not saying yeah. these aren't important, but I'm saying, you know, do you eliminate copays one by one until there's no more copays left, and or do you, or should this be maybe more of a systematic review of, of systematic the challenges? Yeah, but then you couldn't take the win. Like, yeah, imagine yeah, all right. the political wins you wouldn't be able to take if you did that. Yeah. I I, I am still. I know we talked about it before because, and I've worked on it in the past. But the maternal mortality stuff and the infant mortality stuff yeah. really. I'm interested in it. I, I'm I'm the statistics make me ill. First of all, and I don't understand. I do understand them and it still makes me ill, but, um, and it's really, it's really, uh, you can't get your head around how horrible it is, mm-hmm. but also like, w- again, we've been trying for a while and we've not been able to move the needle. So how are we going to move the needle now? Mm-hmm. That's in a way that's new. I hope we move the needle. Um, but you know, down the road for me is, um, the Troy Burdett birthing center that they were trying to close, <laughs> which mm-hmm. was for, you know, a whole host of reasons that we don't have to get into, but that but is access to a community birthing center that the that women who live in the city of Troy were able to access and then, the you know, by foot or by bus if they had to. And then the next nearest one, if this one closed, would not be accessible in that manner. Like that kind of stuff seems to be not connected you know like if you are going to improve care that you have to think about access to care and there's so many siloed decisions that get made by various different agencies and entities that i worry that we're never going to be able to get our hands around a problem so systemic Mm -hmm. and the mental health stuff i mean 
everyone suffered from, I think, from mental health issues post-COVID. So I do like, and, you know, a lot of people are trying to see therapists now and the weights or the access to therapists. So I think she had a provision where if they could, if you couldn't get access, then like you can go out of network, which a lot of therapists are out of network. And I think your provider has to like not charge you the increase for an out of provider therapist. Mm-hmm. I think some of the social media stuff for kids, you know, I don't know what it's like having a young kid, but I have two nieces and, you know, they're starting to have phones. I don't want them on these addictive algorithms yeah. telling them to self-harm, you, you know, know the so- average person checks their phone like 2000 times a day. Yeah. 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 Dude, it's, it's, no, I, I want to counter on my phone to see if I'm actually getting to that because I'm a little I'm I'm terrified that I might be past two thousand. I mean, again, we're you know, we're coming back here and I'll just add, you know, the governor stressed issues uh, tr- trying to take on issues related to domestic violence. These are all, again, like huge issues that she's got some policy prescriptions for. I think so much of this winds up coming back to an interesting discussion that you know we certainly have been having related to mayor adams in new york city which is like you don't necessarily have to have that many big splashy ideas but if you're saying you're going to make things work better Mm -hmm. then you actually really have to make them work better right and so if you're taking on these nuts and bolts issues you're taking on you know kitchen table issues then you got to really like make the progress and let and have people feel can't be you know, distracted with other battles and you can't. That's to Chantel's point. Like she doesn't have a lot of time. Like if you take these small bore issues on and say, I'm going to make it, I'm going to forego, you know, driving my fancy historic car over the bridge named for my dad. Not to say that anybody in particular did that. Just saying like, that's not, I'm not going to do that. For example, for example, that like, or what have you, instead I'm going to, I'm really going to focus my time on things that are going to impact you and you're going to feel it. You need to be able to feel it like now or, or at least in a year, right? Yeah. You don't have a lot of time to actually make that happen. Um, if you have a multi-year plan, like in five years, JFK or LaGuardia is going to be completely transformed and it's going to be when you're really going to see it and you can see the terminal and how, you know, I mean, it is beautiful. It is gorgeous. But like it took years to get there, right? Um, or the subway or what have you. The, the well, same. even on some of that stuff, you know, then the 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 tried and true way to do it is then you have a press event for every single step along the way to remind the public that this is the thing, you know, this is one of your big projects. This is something you're invested in. Here's the, uh, you know, the latest uh, ribbon cutting we've done on this section of it. Here's the MWB contracting we're doing on it. Here's, you know, what that's some of that is some of that is over the top, but, but a lot of it's also important in terms of where politics and policy meet. That's an important part. When you read the State of the State book, she always builds every section with what she's done. Mm-hmm. And she's done stuff. But you forget about what she's done because you, you're like, this, we're in like, I don't know, a chamber of this instant news. They, I feel they need to do a better job of highlighting their wins when they do have wins because they've had wins. But they're just not really like... Previous governor would do something for every step. Maybe you need to do something for every step because I think people are forgetting the wins that you have. And she's done some impressive stuff when you start looking at it. So I might mean, listen to to that point. This is not exactly that. But I was pretty surprised that the day after the state of the state speech, she had no public schedule. And I think that speaks to I understand exhaustion. But, you know, and she had a bunch of events leading up to roll out some proposals. But to me, that was shocking that she wasn't at least doing one event the day after to highlight one of the pieces of it. 
or her conditioners are out or wow. out That's there highlighting piece. different aspects of right this. well that's a brilliant thing because that you bring up because she doesn't do it and i don't know if it's because she doesn't trust her commissioners or she doesn't have commissioners, whatever it is she has brilliant commissioners too like so she should and she does like the rap on her in some ways is that she lets the agencies maybe have a little bit too much rain right like people are like oh they're they're operating they're doing whatever the hell they feel like but that said, unlike Cuomo, who like ran government, uh, yeah, you got which was not was also not let a, your people do stuff. Yeah, but Pataki and to some degree Cuomo, and it was more budget. But to your point, I think is well taken. Would send people on the road, would deputize them, and say, "Go talk to the Westchester Chamber of Commerce, and go talk to SUNY New Paltz, and go talk to the I don't even know who. Go talk to the the Corning, and go talk to." And they would give these localized, pared down versions of the budget speech or the state of the state address. And you know, yes, the governor himself, in this case herself, would barnstorm, right? Would take get would go would do his version as well. But you know, you've got these smart people. Like send them out. Let them let them spread the gospel. We are in our last couple minutes here with Chantel Smith and Liz Benjamin. Uh, thank you both for all the time. So in our last few minutes here, what's a couple things you're most looking for next? Maybe it's something the legislature is going to take on. Maybe it's um, something related to the budget that we haven't discussed oh. yet. Uh, <laughs> okay, Chantel, you're laughing. What? I am interested well, in I think you should let her go last. Oh, redistricting. Yes, okay. yes, right. yes. you, you go, Liz. You go. I just think that the issue is, like, everybody knows that the state of the state is just like a nice broad brush stroke conversation in which the governor lays out her priorities and the legislature, to Chantal's point, is like pays attention or doesn't pay attention and says thanks a lot. The the where the rubber hits the road is in the budget. That document is where the line in the sand gets drawn. And then subsequently, we know how it all plays out. The mothership and the resolutions and the blah, 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 and the joint hearings and all of it. So like, this is all very nice. And show me the money. Okay. There is no money. <laughs> see, I told you she needed to go last. <laughs> there is no money. I want to see how the budget goes through. I want to see these new lines for Congress. Oh, yeah, girl. What happens with mayoral control. For the first time ever, SED is doing a report yeah. on control to be released March 31st. I want to see that. Um I do believe a housing deal will be made. I just don't know what is the configuration. I have faith. I like. I just can't. It's I think so too. I think. I think can't the pressure. Let it, they can't kick it down the road yeah. again because it just yeah. keeps getting worse. But here's the problem: the interconnection between the migrant crisis and the mental health crisis and the opioid crisis and mm-hmm. all of these other things relate to housing. Right. All of the, and transportation and education and how all of these things all relate. Right. I mean, you can't really uncouple a lot of that when you talk about affordability and units and supportive, you know, yeah. um, services for people to keep them housed safely. And I will also say I met because I just have a bunch of things I'm interested in. Please. Constitutional amendments. We have the equal white um, equal rights amendment that are on the ballots, you know, I don't want to give my- the cap on Supreme Court justices. Yes. Like there's just so many things coming down the pike. Migrants, because I want like everybody wants to house every migrant and, you know, do all these things for the migrants. We have no money. How is this going to work? There's so much going on in New York. So Chantel, I was going to ask you also, though, you just named a whole bunch of things you're watching. But 
Uh, I was going to ask you, do you think there's anything that the legislature is going to really sort of take on this year? You know, it is an election year for the entire legislature. We see the governor being kind of cautious in some ways in her agenda, as we've discussed. Is the legislature going to take on anything sort of, you know, I don't I, I don't think to the degree of like the New York Health Act. Right. I think that's mm -hmm. obviously still on the back burner. But anything you think you, you, you get a sense that the legislature is going to take on that may be a little bit under the radar right now that could be a big deal? It's done so much. You know, I'm interested to see if tax the rich in any form mm. may not be the like, you know, millionaires tax. But like, will they tax? I don't know. Pietitaires, corporate taxes, all different types of mm -hmm. configurations of taxing taxation. And though, like the governor says, she's not taxing, you know, taxpayers, you do have a deficit. So I'm interested to see what happens there. And with this being an election year, like people don't want to do anything really big and controversial. Mm -hmm. These people, these electeds that they will not leave with it. Like, I'm just waiting to see housing. Housing, yeah, that's the thing, because they had a package last year. So it'll be interesting to me if they just say, okay, ship it up, do the same package. And if you want to veto, veto. Or like, what do they do? Yeah. Well, if people are interested in a couple of these topics we just barely touched on, I did a recent uh, podcast episode on redistricting with uh, Jeff Weiss of, of New York Law School and many other things who's been around a long time in the redistricting space. So he broke down the recent Court of Appeals ruling and talked about what comes next. So folks can check that episode out. I talked housing recently with the Assembly Housing Chair, Linda Rosenthal. You can listen to that. Uh, and I just had on State Senator Zellner Myrie to talk housing and a whole bunch of other things. So folks can check out these other episodes of the of the show recently. Um, I, I'll just add, I mean, I think it, I think the pressure on legislators is clear on housing, that they mm. are also feeling it, that they have to do something significant. So I will also just add my two cents that I think something will get done on that. It's just a question of like whether they really do get to a three-way, you know, agreement on the stuff. Um, the, well, it ain't, it ain't getting done if there's no three-way agreement, just to be clear. Well, I'm, I'm like, saying, yes. is there a version, you know, a universe where the legislature actually passes a policy package and says to the governor, we dare you to veto it, you know, which some people wanted them to do with the package at the end of June. They'll put it in an omnibus bill. So then, like, if she vetoes, she's going to have to veto it all. And Well, that's that's another thing. Does, you know, do, yeah, do things get right? Exactly. Um all right. Thank you both. This was great. We could keep talking for hours, but I'll let you go because you've given plenty of your time here. Chantel Smith of Tusk Strategies, Liz Benjamin of Marathon. Thank you very much uh, for the time and the thoughts. And uh, we'll, let's stay in touch as we get into the budget and, and everything else. But thanks very much for the time. Mm -hmm.